we're in the midst of a series in the Gospel of John. So we're in the Gospel of John. Today I want to talk about three significant areas that are presented to us as Jesus follows through with the journey that God has called him on. Those things deal with purpose and prejudice and providence. So purpose, prejudice, and providence. Can you say that with me? Purpose, prejudice, providence. Okay, now those three things tend to be together in many, many times in our life. I found over and over again when God has given me direction and guidance, I run into prejudice. One prejudice is I don't want to go where he wants me to go. And then I run into when I follow it, providence. I see God's hand moving powerfully in a way that I never expected as a result of following the directive that he had laid out for me prior to that time. So last week we learned that God is in charge, not man. That you have to be born again from above. That the Spirit blows wherever it wills, and He chooses when and who will be born again in response to God's directive. Now, today's story begins with an interesting statement. It says this, When therefore the Lord knew that... When therefore the Lord knew that. So something was taking place before Jesus was ready to make his next move to the next place that God had planned for him. When the Lord knew this was taking place, then he moved on. Jesus was expecting God to move him from where he was at at that point in time to a new place. The question was when and where. It was 2007, and my daughter, Joy, my number one girl, my firstborn, okay, had gone on a mission with YWAM. She's getting ready to go on. She'd been involved in all this stuff here. We lived in Minnesota at the time, and we were excited because she was growing in her faith and understanding what God wanted to do. And she called me up on the phone, and she says, Dad, the Spirit spoke to me. And any time your children say that, you get a little shivers and you also get fear. Okay? I went, okay. And what did the Spirit say? She said, well, I was trying to determine, you know, where I'm supposed to go on this mission tour to. And I said, yes, I know that. And I'm thinking, she's going to tell me Hawaii. Okay? Which God obviously wanted her to go. She'd been in Minnesota. It's very cold. It's difficult. And she says, Dad... God is directing me to go to Nepal. You can hear the silence on my side of the phone. I said, like in Kathmandu, Nepal, like Himalayan mountains, Nepal. The only place that's colder than Minnesota would be Nepal. You've got to be kidding me. And she says, no, Dad, I really think God has called me. I'm supposed to go to the people in Nepal. I'm saying... Let me pray about it, Joy. Let me, this is really a big deal. I'm really concerned. You are 18 years old and you're going to go to Nepal. What exactly is going to happen there? Well, they're going to take me on a helicopter and drop me off on the top of the mountain. And we're going to come down the mountain and we're going to go village to village. And we're going to show the Jesus film in each one of the villages. And I'm thinking, not my little girl. Not happening. Lord, I'm your man. I'll go. No problem. I'll go. 
And God makes it clear as could be to me, she's supposed to go. I'm like, oh, man. Lord, protect my daughter. So she goes to Nepal, gets dropped off in the helicopter, top of the mountain, goes down village to village, doesn't have enough warm clothing, so she's actually using blankets that have fleas in them at the places she stops at because they want her to be warm. Not thinking about the fact she's also going to get fleas. And spot by spot, they're showing the Jesus film, and hundreds of people are responding to Christ. And she's like, this is so incredible. She's there during Christmas. First one ever away from us. Yeah, I'm like, I'm going, you've got to be kidding me here. She gets through, and then, so finally... She gets a hold of me because I haven't heard from her. I'm wondering, what's going on with my daughter? What's happening? She finally gets a hold of me. Dad, i got to tell you what happened. It was the most incredible thing. I said, what? She said, well, we were going down village to village having this great response. Yeah. And then some people come up and they said, the Muslims are coming up from down below and they want to kill all of you. I'm thinking, this is a good thing that happened, huh? I'm going, boy, it's your luck you didn't call me then. She says, yeah, so we all gathered together. We said, okay, we got to go. We went down the other side of the mountain, completely different than the way we're going. We went down to this place, and it was a special reserve. It's a national reserve, and they had these guys down there. We met the, the rangers, and we got to ride on elephants and went all the way back around into India where the rest of our group was located. God did so many incredible things, and I thought, and I am so glad that I didn't hear about it until after it's over. God moves us in the direction that he wants us to go through a variety of ways at the right time for the right reasons. That changed my daughter's life. And she became a true disciple of Jesus. She began to understand how powerful God was and how he desired to move in our lives very specifically to very specific places to very specific issues, and that he could deliver us whenever he chose to in whatever way he wanted to. Now, I'm a little prejudiced with the people in Nepal. I've got to be truthful. I wanted to go to Hawaii because I'm much more comfortable with the people in Hawaii. But God had a desire and an intention for joy. He had prepared her through Minnesota cold so that she would be prepared for Nepal cold And be able to handle it and actually help out those around her who had not had that experience before. God is remarkable in how he moves us to the place that we need to be by the way that he chooses for us to go. Today, the principle I want to talk about is this. As we submit to the purpose of God, he will enable us to overcome the prejudice of man going to Nepal and lead us into the providence of the Father. Experience the wonder of what he wants in our lives. We're in John chapter 4. Turn there. John chapter 4. The story begins in John chapter 4 with a clarification of the purpose that God had for Jesus. An intentional journey that now he had begun on and he wasn't sure until this point in time when he was to leave and where he was to go. So it says now when Jesus knew that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, you catch the conflict. Although, in fact, it wasn't Jesus who was baptizing. It was his disciples. So he left Judea and he went back once more towards Galilee. But. 
Before he could get there, he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground where Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about 12 o'clock. It was about 12 o'clock. Timing. God has a plan that you have to submit to if you want to find it. When is it time to go? So here's Jesus, and he uses the Pharisees in a conflict situation with himself and John the Baptist. And he's struggling. I guarantee you, Jesus is struggling with the reality that John himself is no longer the premier guy. John has lost a position that he had prior to and is beginning to decrease rapidly in the eyes of all the people. And Jesus is a little bit unhappy with that on one end, but he recognizes the need for it on the other. He's also fully aware, as we'll find out later, that John is about to be taken into prison and be put to death. That's the next thing that will happen to John. John will be grabbed by Herod, brought into prison, and then the result will be the death of John because someone desires and wishes it as Herod gets impulsive and says, ask whatever you want and I'll do it for you. What they wanted was for John to be beheaded. And so he does. Jesus, clear picture of all these things going to happen. He said, it's time for me to go. When he knew that the Pharisees were aware that he was now bringing in more disciples than John, the people were beginning to come to him, that John was aware when these people speak to him, that I must decrease that he might increase. John's purpose had come to and in. It was done. Now what he was doing is appointing people to who Jesus was, but Jesus himself was becoming so clearly the one that people were starting to come to him without the need to be directed by John the Baptist. Oftentimes, when God desires to move us, there's anxiety. There's a dis-ease. There's conflict taking place in our life. So when someone asks me, is it time to go somewhere? I ask them, is there conflict in your life? Is there a lot of issues and struggles taking place in some way or manner? And if there is, I say, that may be an indication that God is saying, hey, it's time. It's time for you to move to another place. There's a purpose intended for you. And I'm trying to stir you up to make you aware that it needs to happen. Other times, there's a project. So sometimes there's pain. Other times when God wants us to move, there's a project. And this is this sense that I've got to do something. I've got to do something. Do you remember the prophet Nehemiah? Those of you to go back and remind yourself of him. Nehemiah finds himself in a position where he is in a prime spot within the kingdom. And he's living good. And life is good for him. Things are going incredibly well. Except for this simple fact. Jerusalem is in ruins. His brother comes back from Jerusalem and he says, how's it going in Jerusalem? Like I'd say to you, hey, how's it going? And you turn to me and say, like my brother over here said, oh, we had this funeral and someone died and I'm good. But wow, this is this is just difficult. And that's exactly what he says to Nehemiah. Well, it's good, but the walls are broken down and there's nobody in charge. They desperately need a leader. And he looks at Nehemiah. Nehemiah is saying, 
And the Spirit of God falls upon him and he's burdened and begins to pray and ask God, what am I to do? And God makes it clear to him, Nehemiah, you're to go to Jerusalem. You're to rebuild the walls. But before you do, you're going to have to attempt something. You're going to have to find yourself standing in front of the present emperor and ask him for help and resources because you are the cupbearer. You are the right-hand guy for him. I've developed a relationship with you and him so that he can do what he needs to do. And Nehemiah knows there's two things going to happen. One is the emperor's going to say, okay, I'm with you 100%. Or he's going to say, are you crazy? This is treason. You want to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem so that you can establish yourself? Which one would it be? He had no idea. So he prays and he fasts and he comes before the king. And the king says, give me five. Great idea. I love it. You need to go down there. Rebuild those walls. What do you need? And Nehemiah is prepared. He says, I need this and this and this and this and this and this and this. And the king's going, dude, you thought this out. You got it. It's all yours. And off he goes to begin to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. A project. Something on our heart where we find ourselves going, I just got to go do that. It's a calling from God, a desire, an understanding. Now here it talks about Jacob's mention. So he goes through the process and she says, now this is a place where Jacob's well was at, who had his son, Joseph. Joseph. Now, what does that coat tell you about Joseph? A lot of colors going on there. And we even have a Broadway play about Joseph now. Isn't that incredible? And it's actually done quite well. And it's quite biblical. It's an amazing presentation. I love it. If you haven't seen it, go see it. Great presentation. You see... This is a declaration of God moving in marvelous ways. Marvelous ways. So Joseph finds himself in great pain after he's thrown into the pit by his brothers who are so angry with him and sold in slavery. Following that, he says, I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to allow God to do what God wants to do. And the result is he's thrown into prison. Everything he does right ends up with what? Wrong results. Apparently. Apparently, while he's in prison, he develops relationships there. And even there, they don't fall through with their commitments until finally one special day, a day that God had set aside a specific time about noon. Joseph finds himself standing before the king with all the answers necessary to put him into position so that God could bring down his people, Israel. And begin to establish them as a nation. Force them to stay together. Until some 430 years later, there would be over a million people that Moses would lead to the promised land. God has a plan. A desire. An intention. And oftentimes there's a pain. And sometimes there's a project. Remember even Jacob himself? That's his father here. Remember his conflict? It was about Esau. Hey, he stole his blessing. And after Esau found out about it. Esau was Eric and I'm Jacob. Okay? You get the idea? Big, little. And he's really angry. And he is going to take him out. So he has to leave. He leaves. And in so leaving, he finds himself with a relative who has a daughter whom he falls in love with and he marries. And 19 years later, ah, really? 19 years? Picture of God. Present. And future, 
19 years later, he finds himself coming back, wrestles with God, and he's given a new name. And his new name is Israel, which now the nation we know as Israel is named after. The 12 tribes that would come through his loins. I like that term, loins. Amazing. God's intention, God's plan. Oftentimes pain, other times a project to move us to the place where he desires for us to go. But almost in every case, I find out over and over again, there's a prejudice that takes place afterwards. There's a prejudice that happens in life following that. We're in this will thing. How many of you are concerned about God's will for your life? Okay, let me go more specifically. I'm going to give you a little bit of me. Okay? So we're going to get a little more personal here. I'm in the service. I've given my life to Christ. I recognize what he's doing. I'm leading Bible studies. I'm having a great time. Life finally makes sense. For the first time in my life, life makes sense. And I'm sitting here and the pastor comes up to me and he shakes me up. Okay, he's the chaplain and he says, Lee, God has called you to be a pastor. I said, what's a pastor? He says, well, someone who leads the church. I said, I'm really not all that familiar with what the church is. This is how ignorant I am. He explains to me what's going on. I said, I don't think so. He said, no, seriously, you have a gift. God has given you. It's not about you. It's a gift that God's given you. He's got a calling for you. You need to follow it. I said, okay, I'll pray about it. That's the all-encompassing answer, right? I'll pray about it. What that really means is not going to happen. No way. Okay. So I start praying. I go in the back room and I'm praying in this room. And I'm saying, Lord, please don't make me a pastor. Don't let me go into this whole thing. I don't want to do this. I'm here for you. I'm kind of enjoying the military now. Things are beginning to work. This is a good thing. And I prayed for an hour talking with him. I said, at the end of it, I said, but Lord, if you want me to go, then you give me a specific sign. While I am praying. A young man from San Jose has shown up looking for people at this coffee house, which is why I'm praying at, okay? And he's shown up and he's like, nobody's here. And he lays down a catalog from San Jose Bible College on top of the counter. And he leaves. I walk out saying, you know, Lord, if you want me to go there, you're going to have to show me school and all this stuff. And I have no idea what I'm supposed to do or where am I supposed to go. And I looked down and I said, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> so I said, but Lord, you understand something. I'm in the service. They own me. The military owns me, baby. So that's it. No problem. It's a done deal. One of these days I'll be able to go. We'll figure it out later. Two days later, first sergeant calls me and Lee. I said, yeah. He said, I don't know if you know about it, but there's a new program that just came out. It's called an early out program. And if you have 18 months overseas and you have 18 months in two days. I said, okay. He said, so you could get out early and you'd be stationed at the place that you originally were uh, inducted from. I said, San Jose. (laughs) You begin to see God's hand? Remarkable because I was so stupid. I'm, I'm serious. When you don't know anything, God gives you everything you need to make sure you know where to go. When you know more, he gives you less. Because he expects you to follow the directives he's given you. You know how to follow. He says, follow it. Greater the purpose, greater the pain. Greater the purpose, greater the pain. Off to Samaria. The disciples are going, not there. Even says, they're going to Galilee. Oh, by the way, they had to go through Samaria. And supposed to 
God has sent us to Samaria. But John is being honest. He's saying the first thought was we do not want to go to Samaria. God must want us to do this. What is happening? God's purpose is greater than man's prejudice. It's about 12 noon. And the woman comes to Jacob's well where Jesus is sitting. And he looks up and he says, well, what do you know? What do you know? And it becomes clear to him what he's supposed to do. And he begins a dialogue with her concerning this issue of, uh, call it, giving me a drink. So let's turn back to John again. Let's see what we got as we're going along, okay? So we're back here in John in the next little section. And it says, The Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples were gone into the town to buy food. I should say, except for John, who's still here. Okay? But the others have gone into town to buy food. Samaritan woman says to him, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Jews don't ask Samaritan women, Samaritans, period, for drinks or anything else. No association. Jesus says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. If God asks you for a drink, give him one quick. That's the key here, right? Okay. So he says, we're well, giving you living water. Sir, she says, you have nothing to draw with. The well's deep. Where are you going to get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well, drank from it himself? Is it also his sons and his livestock? And Jesus said, whoever drinks the water here will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never, ever thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said, sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming back here to draw water in the middle of the day. And Jesus said, oh, go call your husband and then come back. She said, I have no husband. He said, that's, that's true. He said, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five. And the man that you're now living with is not your husband. What you've said is true. Sir, she said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus said, believe me, a time is coming. When you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For that's the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit. And his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. And the woman said, I know that Messiah is coming when he comes to explain everything to us. And Jesus said to her, I, the one speaking to you, am the Messiah. First person he declares himself to a Samaritan woman. Now, need a little bit of background to get a handle on this, where this prejudice is. So God has sent him here. He recognizes it. And he talks about the opportunity to be cleansed and made completely whole through the water that he would give her. This, the previous time he talked about the fact that the spirit would come and, and remove us. We could be born again. Now he's talking about a living water that as you drink this will cleanse you from your sins. 
It will make you whole again, brand new, and you'll never again have to worry about the fact of going to heaven, of having a relationship with the Father. So Jesus knows her past. That's the first thing. Jesus knows her past. I, I got to call up my wife. Um, she was on the plane. She said, what's with the rock star thing? I said, what, what are you talking about? She said, this is the second time in a row where I'm seated. The guy sitting next to me is a wannabe rock star. I said, oh, I remember that happened last time. She said, yeah. She said, lately, God just put me in these positions. So this guy here is talking to me, and he starts sharing. He talks about sharing about Seosin, which just happens to be Mary's good friend, Burchell. It happens to be her son is in this band, Seosin. And he begins to share about it. He's wanting to be in the rock thing and all that, but it's really tough. Da, 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 da. And she says, oh, do you know Bo? And he goes, you know Bo? She says, I know Bo. He goes, wow, that's cool. He says, yeah, he's kind of a rock star on. He says, yeah, he's what I want to be. I tried out for the band lead singing. Didn't make it. She said, that rock thing is kind of tough, isn't it? It's just horrible. She said, the lifestyle is so hard. That's what each of these guys keep doing. So she goes on through the thing and ends up talking about how Jesus is the rock that can roll your sins away. You know, kind of that whole thing. That, so you got the picture. She calls me up. What's with the rock star stuff going on? I said, God, just for whatever reason, because of your relationships, has put you into a spot to stir these guys to an awareness of their need to drink of the water that Jesus provides. Remember Zacchaeus? Guys, remember all the story about Zacchaeus? Another prejudiced story. That's what it was about. Zacchaeus is the tax collector who's a short little guy who's ripping off everybody in the village. He's up in the tree. Jesus walks by, looks up and says, hey, Zacchaeus, how you doing? He knows my name. How did he know my name? She says, come on down, Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus comes down. He says, I'm going to go to your house and we're going to have a meal with you today. Zacchaeus says, my house? Really? And there's this immediate flood of God's spirit into his life. And he says, that's it. I repent. I'm going to pay back everybody, anything I've taken from them, I'm going to double it. And he begins to go down through this process of change going on in his life, just as a result of Jesus saying, hey, I'm going to come over to your house today. You're the guy. Samaritan woman. She finds herself in the position talking with Jesus. And after he gets done talking with her, she finds herself going, oh my goodness, could he be the Messiah? She runs off. And interacts with the rest of the Samaritan village and begins telling them about who Jesus is. Prejudice. You see, we find ourselves in positions of prejudice so often we think, you know, Jesus, you should have started with somebody that was more prominent than this Samaritan woman who was almost a prostitute, had five other husbands. Why would you start with her? Why would she get to know that you're the Messiah? You haven't actually even told the disciples that fact. What's going on? Jesus has a directive from the Father to overcome prejudice and to speak to those in need. Let's watch this clip that kind of clarifies a bit of that idea, except it's in relationship to prisoners. Go to the prison, go to the mental health institution, go to the poor, go to the people that we're prejudiced about, we're scared of. We're frightened what might happen. Not Nepal, Lord. Not Nepal. And God says, I've got a plan. And it almost always includes the prejudice that you have in your life that needs to be removed. And Lee, one day, I'm going to send you to Nigeria, to Africa, to preach to all these really, really black people. 
that you don't like right now, that you are prejudiced against, and I'm going to give you such a love for them that your friend will always be, from this day forward, your best friend at church is always going to be a black man. Seriously. You've got to be kidding me, Lord. No. No. He's not. God desires to help us understand that he has a purpose that will overcome our prejudice and move us to the place where we experience the providence of God. The wonder of God. Here we go, wow, once again, I see God's hand moving in powerful, powerful ways. You heard him talk about Chuck Colson. Remember Colson? He's the right-hand man with Nixon. I am not a crook. Colson said, I am. I'm a crook. I did wrong. I need to be put in jail. And he was. And he took that place of pain and he turned it into a project that God caused literally millions of men and women to be brought to Christ through prison fellowship ministry. Something a lawyer would never think of doing. But he does. Marvelous grace of God. He would use a Samaritan woman who Jesus speaks to and he's not supposed to to cause the whole village to begin to turn and to say as we finish up this section of Scripture they didn't just believe because of what she said. They believed because of the words that he spoke. Two days he stays in Samaria. Now, I want you to understand a little bit of how important this is, what's going on here. First Kings chapter 12. Remember, we went through his story and we talked about Rehoboam and Jeroboam and how the kingdom had been split in two, northern and southern kingdom. Well, through that process, the Samaritan people were removed from the ability to interact with Jerusalem. So the result was Rehoboam in this case. Hey, Rehoboam begins to say, hey, you guys can't come here. So Jeroboam builds his own worship centers with golden calves for the people to come and worship God at. And begins to set up this place and he establishes a new temple. And this temple is on Mount Garrison. They also now share in the Passover in Mount Garrison in a different manner than the Jewish people do. That's 900 B.C. About 200 years later, the Assyrian forces come in and they force the Israelites to leave. And they begin to establish a group of people who are mixed in their faith and in their birth process. So the Jewish people are mixed up with these different people here. After they're all mixed up with these different people, it says about 540 B.C., Nehemiah, remember I started with him? comes back to Jerusalem, begins to rebuild the wall. Sanballat says, we want to be part of this. And he says, you guys are a bunch of mixed race. You will have no part in building this temple or building this wall. Get out of here. Do you begin to understand what's going on now? The prejudice begins to build. So later on, Alexander the Great literally builds them their own temple on Mount Garrison, that they can worship at. So you've got this establishment of two separate groups. It kind of sounds like Palestine and Israel. And then to add things, 400 B.C., the Jews come in and wipe out that temple. 
completely destroy it. So when Jesus is here now, it's been destroyed and they have nowhere to worship. But there's this hate that is generated among these two people. And they are so angry with one another when they look at them. It's like, I just want to punch you out. That's the kind of stress that Jesus walks into with the disciples who are going, I can't believe he's talking to a Samaritan woman. The whole village is going to come out here and beat the crud out of us. It's going to be awful. What is he doing? But none of them would say anything. The scripture says none of them would say anything because they knew Jesus seemed to know what he was doing. And the result is the entire village responds to the providence of God because Jesus is willing to step up and risk declaring grace. And for the next two days, he shares with them what this concept or idea about worship really is, why we go, why we're involved in the providence of God, why we're worshiping. You see, this process of worship is we're trying to connect with God. We come here not just so we can listen to a a nice message or hear some great music. You don't come here for that. You don't come here to listen to me. You don't come here to listen to Eric. You don't come here to listen to Pete. You come here because you want to connect with God. You want to connect with God. You want to know that he's involved in your lives and they can make a difference. You want to know that you have a purpose. You want to say, God, what do you want me to do? How can I do it? Where do I need to go? Jesus says the time is coming. It's already here when true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and in truth. And the father's looking for those who will worship him in this way. It's not about the temple anymore. Doesn't matter about the Jerusalem temple. Doesn't matter about the temple you don't have in Mount Garrison. None of that matters anymore. Now what matters is if you respond to the temple of God, which is me, the Messiah. That's what matters from this point on. Forward. In fact, he doesn't say it, but we know now the temple will be destroyed completely, utterly, stone upon stone upturned, nothing left. Because the only clear directive from God is that we must worship in spirit and in truth, spirit to the spirit, responding to he who calls us in. In spirit means to connect with God breath to breath. We breathe the same breath. It's a kiss from God. It's not about a place. It's about a person that we connect with. In truth, kind of got a twofold meaning. It means no more hypocrisy and falsehood. Some of you come in here and you're like, you're singing, here I raise my Ebenezer. What's an Ebenezer? I don't have a clue what an Ebenezer is, but I'm raising it. Or you're saying, oh, Lord, I love you. And you're thinking, not really. That's hypocrisy. I would encourage you, when you come to those verses, just shut up. Just go bananas. That's what I used to do when I was in choir. When we didn't know the words, we just say banana, banana, banana. You get to those words, just quiet down. Don't say it because you don't believe it. Or say it and allow it to become what you believe. Those are your choices. God desires those who worship him to worship him in spirit and in truth. Align with his word. Jesus said, the Jews know what they worship. You Samaritans, you don't know. You've gone off the track. He says, but that's not the big deal. The big deal is me. The big deal is me. And for the next two days, he clarifies them exactly what that is. And they begin to experience this 
wondrous worship process as they interact with Jesus. You see, the problem that I find in our worship is too often we're playing at it instead of working at it. We play at it instead of working at it. And worship is work, folks. It's thinking it's interacting, it's emotional, it's questioning. When we have these wonderful songs, Pete put together these great series of songs, and they're all about, hey, what is God saying? What is God doing? How are you responding? And we're singing, Jesus, lean on, I will follow. Really? Just light the way and I'll go. Really? Nepal, you're going to go down the mountain. How many of you are willing to go to Nepal today? Exactly. I don't want to go there either. What I've found in my life over and over and over again is that when it's time, God calls me, and every time, here included, it was not to a place I wanted to go. Every time. When there's a major movement of God in my life, it was to a place I went, Lord, do I have to go? And God says this, you don't have to, but I want you to. And every time I said, Lord, if you want me to go, we're gone. Doesn't matter. We'll move wherever you want us to move because it's about your purpose. As I struggle with my prejudice and what I think is going to take place. But I desperately want to encounter your providence again and again and again. And that's the cry of God. Those who worship him, worship in spirit and in truth, the Hebrew is shaka. Say that with me. Shaka. See, doesn't it, it just kind of gets you, doesn't it? it kind of, this is exciting stuff. And that, that's kind of the picture, this, this wondrous opportunity to grab a hold of God, and he grabs a hold of you. And it's, it's intense. It's powerful. It's moving. We're saying, God, do something. There's a great, great clip I want to show you here. It's out of a movie called Glory. And what it's about is a group of black battalion. The, one, the only one that really existed during the Civil War time. And these men gathering together, getting ready to go out and fight for freedom. But the night before, they do something special. Watch and see what it is. Wow! You see, worship is a sacrifice of praise. And you can hear it there. It's a sacrifice of praise. It's saying, God, help me. I need you desperately. I am struggling. I don't know what's going to happen. And I need to know that you're with me and that you're leading me and that you're guiding me. I need to know that your purpose is greater than the prejudice. But I, more than anything, I need to explain. I need to experience your providence. I need to have real worship right now. See, and that's our cry. And that was what Jesus was trying to, to bring in the midst of all these situations so that he might see. Because worship provides us with a sense of wholeness. It finishes it off. Finally, I go... I'm okay. Life is good. God is good. And whatever happens, whatever happens, if tomorrow's my getting up morning, that's okay. That's okay. Because God is with me and has led me and he's put me in this place today. If you don't get anything else, God wants you to understand that worship is about loving God with all our heart and soul and mind. It's a connection in which we honor Him, acknowledging who He is and what He has done. 
and we love him back. He loves us so much and he says, just love me back. I deserve your love. Give it to me and the result will be completeness in your life. That hole that was there suddenly gets filled up. Paul says this, therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view, in view of God's mercy, recognizing his love, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship, a living sacrifice saying, God, use me, speak through me. Let me talk to the rock stars in the plain. Let me share with the woman at the well. Let me interact with the prisoners in pain. God, I want to experience your light leading me down the path that you have me for. Well, so as we finish up, it says many believed because of the woman. Yes, but also because of the word of Jesus. He is the savior of the world. Not just Samaritans, not just Jews of the world. Because this is an interesting that happens when Jesus comes in and takes over. This is what happens. The prejudice is gone. It's gone. You find yourself loving people no matter what. It's interesting that Jesus talks about the good Samaritan. Which they thought was an oxymoron. No such thing. He said, oh, but there is. Because they were changed by the power and the wonder of God. They didn't know everything, but now they know who Jesus is and what he can do in their life. Worship, a spiritual action, a connection with God where I discover my purpose. There's light out of the darkness and I find myself heading off wherever he calls me. Minnesota, South Dakota, Nepal, California, whatever. And as you follow, you experience the providence of God and you know this is where I was called to be. But it all begins, folks. It all begins with three simple things. It begins with this. First, you admit that you're a sinner. You're a person filled with darkness who doesn't know where to go. That there's always this sin in my life that's confusing me and I desperately need God to get rid of that sin. And so I believe that Jesus is the one who can get rid of it. And every morning I pray, I say, Lord, forgive me for my sins. Cleanse me from this darkness. Give me light. Open my eyes to see what you have for me today. I choose you as my Lord. I choose you, not just as my Savior, as my Lord. Lead me today. Lead me today. That I might experience removal of that prejudice and the wonder of of your providence. That's the story in John 4. That's the story. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it incredible? God has a story for you. He wants you to be able to write it down and say, I remember when. And other people go, wow, is God that, that big? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 12 noon, she's going to show up. And you're going to talk to her about living water. And it's going to change everything. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today as people 
who have recognized that you are God, that your son gave his life for us and that you intend to move us day by day in a specific way so that we can experience your love and your freedom and the wonder of walking with you in worship. So today we come to you worshiping you for who you are and asking you to become more. Allow us the privilege of breaking loose from the chains that are holding us back. Remove the prejudice that we have, whether it be a prejudice of not believing that you will do what you said you'd do, or whether it's a prejudice of other people that we've allowed ourselves to be constrained by. Lord, remove it. Grant us freedom, the ability to worship you. Lord, today we say, lead us where we're to go, whether it be to immigrants or to prisoners Whoever it is that you call us to care for, help us to care for them. Not because they've done everything right, but because you've called us to do the right thing. So today, we come to you and say, Lord, I want to follow you. I want to deal with my prejudice. I want to be involved in your purpose. And I want to see your providence. And Father, that's our prayer. So as we finish up this time together with a simple song, we're going to listen to it. We're going to share our offering to you. We're going to write down our prayer requests, Lord. We're going to say, Father, do what only you can do this day. But we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.